So I hope that is nothing uh, to do with what uh, the K family is going to be experiencing tomorrow. Um, the title of the message this morning is Real Faith Shows. Real Faith Shows. Faith is not just something that we talk about, something that you kind of have, but it's, it's visible. Real Faith Shows. And we're going to be looking at James chapter 2 and the verses 14 and following. And I'd like to invite Joshua, my son up here. He's going to read uh, the first part of that passage, which we're going to focus on this morning. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. Yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Thanks. All right. Now, I don't know if you picked that up. I've put it on the screen here for you again, and I've highlighted a few words that come up very frequently. And so I'd like to see, can anybody guess which words appear over and over again? Can, any, can anyone guess? There's two words Shout it out if you know them. Faith and? Faith and works. Uh-oh. Faith and works. Are we going to be talking about faith and works this morning? If you have been a Christian for a while or if you've grown up in this area, you know that that is one of the uh, more challenging topics for Christians because uh, we know that we are supposed to have faith and we are saved by faith, by faith alone, but we're also supposed to be doing good works and so if we're not doing good works, then is that actually enough? Is faith alone enough? Do we need faith and works or only faith or only works? And so that is the topic this morning. And James has something to say about that. And I'm hoping that we can learn something from James this morning as we look at that. So faith and works, maybe for the adults, it's like, oh, yeah, we've talked about this. We know this. But for the kids, those are actually pretty big words. Eh? Does anybody know what faith actually is or what works actually are? Well, we're going to look at that um, a little bit later on. James is writing this letter to um, Christians, to uh, people scattered around the nations, as Gary told us over the past few weeks, at least he told the adults. And he is addressing a topic that uh, these people were struggling with. He's mentioned earlier on in the letter, he talks about people who were hearers of the word, but not doers. And he talked about people who say they were religious, but they weren't actually paying any attention to how they were speaking their language or what they were doing, whether they were helping the poor or not. And he's saying there's a problem there. And now he says something that is very similar. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? So if I was to ask you how many of you would say you have faith, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up because... I'm assuming most of us have faith. That's why we're here. We are gathered as people of faith. And so 
If we say that we are people of faith, then this passage is for us because it says if someone says he has faith, so he's talking to people who say they have faith, so that's us. And then he goes on to say, but if they have no works, can that faith save them? And so if you say you have faith, I think what James is saying is examine yourself. Have a look, not just at what you say, not just what you think you believe, but have a look at your life and see if that is actually showing your faith. Because real faith is going to show. Okay, real faith shows. That's what James is saying. And we're going to take some time this morning to explore that and what that looks like. I think this is a warning from James, but I think it's also a challenge, and maybe an encouraging challenge to pay attention, not just to what we think, not just to what we say, but also to how we live. So here's an example for you. Any Maple Leaf fans in the room? Do we have any Maple Leaf fans? One, two, oh, 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 we've got a lot of Maple Leaf fans. In the summer, you can say that. In March, uh, in March and April, there was not many Maple Leaf fans around. So I work with two other pastors. One of them is Gary, and one of them is Wayne. And Wayne is a Maple Leafs fan, and Gary is not a Maple Leafs fan. And do you know how I know that? Anybody know how I know that? I don't know it just by what they say. I know it because being a Maple Leafs fan shows Okay, being a Maple Leaf fan shows. What are some ways that somebody might show they are a Maple Leafs fan? Any ideas? Kids at the front row, do you have any ideas? Make, wear a Maple Leafs hat, for sure, or a Maple Leafs shirt. I know that Wayne talks about the Maple Leafs a lot. He watches the games. He knows the players. And so I don't need to guess, is he a Maple Leafs fan or not? It shows I can see that he's a Maple Leafs fan. Now, does wearing a Maple Leafs hat make you a Maple Leafs fan? Not really. I think I've worn a Maple Leafs hat before, maybe a Maple Leafs shirt. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a Maple Leafs fan. So just wearing the shirt, just wearing the hat doesn't make you a fan. But if you're a fan, it's going to show. Gary, he can tell me all he wants. He's a Maple Leafs fan. He doesn't wear a shirt. He doesn't watch the games. He doesn't talk about them. So no matter what he says, I'm not going to think that he's a Maple Leafs fan. And so that's what James is saying here, in a similar way, what use is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, or what if he said he was a Maple Leafs fan, but he's not showing it, he doesn't have works, can that faith save him? And then he gives us an example. He says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? I love that Sharon just talked about the food bank, and it's so easy to say, oh, I hope those people get some food, but what use is it if we say we hope that they get some food and we don't actually do anything about that? So here's an example um, to show the example that James has just given us. I really like chocolate, okay? I like good chocolate. Anybody else like chocolate? Are there any kids here who like chocolate? Okay, there's some kids here. I really love chocolate, and I love sharing chocolate. All right, I'd like one of the K family boys that really likes chocolate. And I'm not just talking, ah, oh, I like candy, I like sweet stuff, whatever, just put it in. I'm talking really appreciates chocolate. Any of them? Who is the, most, the biggest chocolate lover in the K family? <laughs> Mummy. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. So... Rebecca, why don't you come up here? So I love chocolate, and I love sharing chocolate because I grew up in Germany. I just went back to visit Germany and Switzerland, and I brought some chocolate because I love just giving out chocolate and sharing it with other people. 
I love the sweet softness melting on your mouth. You do too, you, you really love the chocolate. And so um, the nice thing about sharing chocolate is when you share chocolate, you can both enjoy it together. And so I'm gonna open this chocolate and uh, mm, mm. Sorry, it's my mouth full. I love that we just were able to share about chocolate together. So why don't you have a seat again? What use is it, my friends, if I talk about loving chocolate and more so sh about sharing chocolate, and then I talk to somebody about sharing it and I know they want it, I hope you get some chocolate before you go on the plane tomorrow. <laughs> and I don't actually do anything about it. What use is it? And that's what James is saying here. He says, faith, if it has no works, is dead. He says, if you see somebody in need, you don't do anything about it, that's useless. I'd love to give you this chocolate, but if I give it to you, my whole sermon illustration is down the drain. And so, all right, I think, I think we got the point across. So what use is it if you say you have faith, but you don't actually show it? It's almost like James is talking about two different types of faith. He's saying, well, you can say you have faith or maybe even believe that you have faith, but that might not actually be real faith. So look at this one verse in the middle here. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. What James is saying, if we say that we believe in God, he says, good, well done, you do well. But notice also the demons believe in God. Just saying I believe in God is no different than what the demons do. If I say I believe in Jesus, you actually believe the same thing as the devil. He also believes in Jesus. Jesus says believe in me, but he actually says more than that. He also says come to me. He says follow me. He says abide in me, stay in me. And so faith is more than just believing in our heads, yep, I believe that to be true. It's actually trusting with our lives and that is going to show. So James says, what use is it my brothers if someone says he has faith and maybe he has faith or maybe he doesn't have faith but if he has no works, James asks the question, can that faith save him? All right, I said before there's some complicated words here so to fully understand this, we might have to look at what some of those word mean, words mean. What is faith? What are works? And why is James even talking about the need to be saved? So the first thing I want to look at is why do we need saving? If we don't get this one right, everything else doesn't matter. If we're saved by faith, but we don't actually need saving, then what's, what's the use? I mentioned the story with the airplane before. Imagine people are in the airplane and the airplane is going down. People need a parachute to save them. But what if they don't actually realize that the plane is going down? Or what if the plane isn't actually going down? Do they need to be saved? They only need to be saved if there's actually a problem. And so my question is, why do we need saving? And so we have to start right at the beginning, see if we can uh, understand this. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he also created people. And he said it was good. In fact, when he created people, he said it was very good. And the good thing was 
that people got to be with God. They got to have relationship with God. They got to enjoy his presence. They got to live with him. And that was good. Who likes to hang out with their grandparents? Who likes to hang out with their family and friends? We like to hang out with people that we like. And even more so, we like to hang out with people who like us and who love us. That's why you like to hang out with your grandparents, because they love you and they treat you really well. That's why you like to hang out with your favorite uncle or you like to hang out with your, your best friend, because they love you. And so people got to hang out with God and it was good. But then there was a problem and the problem is sin. And sin separated God from people because people chose themselves. They chose to, follow, to listen to the serpent, Adam and Eve. You remember that story uh, at the, uh, in, in the garden? And people chose sin, chose to be uh, sinful. And God, who is still good, cannot be together with sin. And so there's a big gap there between God and between people because of sin. And sin, the problem with sin is that it leads to death. Now, all of us sitting here, right now are all alive i think mo most of us most of us are alive so we are sinners and yet we're still alive and so we're not talking about sin dying right now here in this building it's sin at the end of our life for the rest of eternity being dead spiritually and being separated from god and that is a big problem in fact that is the biggest problem that we have as human beings Sometimes it's difficult to see that because we just go on with our life and we come to church and we go to the beach and we go to work or to school or to camp and it seems like everything is fine but if we trust the Bible then not everything is actually fine because there is something that at the end of our life is going to surprise us if we just go through life as if nothing was wrong because there is a problem and that problem is we're separated from God. So what do we do when we have a problem? What I try to teach my kids when we have a problem, we fix it, we solve it. Unless the problem is too big, what do we do when the problem is too big? Then we ask dad for help. We ask somebody else for help if we can't fix the problem. This problem is so big that we can't fix it, and so we need to ask our dad, our heavenly father, for help. And the good thing is, he already has a solution for the problem. In Ephesians it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Because of your sin you were dead, but then it also says, but God. But God, because of his great love for us, made us alive again in Christ Jesus. And so God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to solve that problem, to give a solution. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And so Jesus is a solution to come to God, but Jesus is the only solution to come to God. In the Bible, it also says the wages of sin is death. Wages of sin, that's kind of a complicated word. It means the price of sin. The price of sin, the cost of sin is death. But it also says one died for all. That's Jesus. One died for all. So all have died and we can come back to God. Now, one died for all and all have died. That's kind of a complicated sentence. And I, I couldn't understand that for a while until I thought of this example. So I need to see, do we have any kids here who have been to Canada's Wonderland this summer? Anyone this summer been to Canada's Wonderland? Any, any kids? All right, do we, do we have a volunteer? Do you, want, do you want to come up? One of you guys want to come up that have been to Canada's Wonderland? 
right, so you were at Canada's Wonderland this year? Yeah, did you, did you enjoy that? Yeah. All right, so what did you do at Canada's Wonderland? What was your favorite thing that you did there? Do you remember? Thunder Run? Okay, now Canada's Wonderland is really fun, I hear. I haven't been there, but I hear it's really fun, but it's also really expensive, isn't it? Yeah, do you know how expensive it is? No, why not? You, but you bought a ticket to go there, didn't you? Did you buy a ticket to go to Canada's Wonderland? You don't know? What do you mean you don't know? I thought you need a ticket to go to Canada's Wonderland. You didn't buy a ticket? You don't know? Hmm. I'm just, be, I'm just making it difficult for you. So here's what I think happened. Could it be that you went there as a family? Did you go there with your family? Yeah? Did you go to Canada? Yep, yeah, you went with your family. And could it be that your mom or your dad bought the tickets? Could it be that they paid for all of you? And then when you went in, and the person there said, oh, did you pay? You could say, yep, I paid. Well, my dad paid for me, and so I paid. So your dad paid for all of you, and so you could all go into Canada's Wonderland. Is that right? All right, thank you very much. You can have a seat. So that's very similar to here, that the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin, the penalty for sin is to die. And so everybody needs to die, but God sent his son, Jesus, to die for all. So that all died in a way, we say we died because Jesus died for us, and now we can all live, live with Jesus. Now, somebody's wallet, the dad's wallet must be really big if he can pay for the whole family, and Jesus' wallet had to be really big to pay for all of us. In fact, he had to live a perfect life so that he could, um, he could die for all of us. So that is the problem, and that is the solution. So why do we need to be saved? We need to be saved because we were separated from God through sin. And if nothing was done about that, at the end of our life here on earth, we would spend the rest of eternity separated from God in hell, and we would be spiritually dead. But God, because of his great love, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. So how were we saved? We were saved through Jesus, but the Bible also tells us it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So now this faith thing comes in. We said before, what is faith? And I would suggest to you that faith is nothing more and nothing less than believing this, and not just believing with our head, but actually agreeing with God that this is true, and then accepting the gift that he has given us through Jesus. So faith is agreeing with God, yes, this is the good news. God, we are separate from you because we are sinful. We would be lost if it wasn't for you. There's nothing we can do to earn our favor with God. We are completely separate. And yet, we also recognize that God sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross for us. And we don't just believe that in our head and say, okay, that's fine. We actually accept it. Think about the airplane again. The airplane is going down. And we say, yes, God, we recognize there's a problem. This airplane is going, to, going down, and we are going to crash and die if nothing happens. And then God offers us a parachute that can save us. And we can say, oh, great, we're saved. There's a parachute. And sit back in our seats and enjoy the rest of the ride, or we can accept the gift and say, I trust that this parachute is the only thing that's going to save me, 
and then jump out trusting in that parachute. And so faith is not just believing and then living on our lives as if nothing happened. Faith is actually agreeing with God and then accepting that gift ourselves. So what is faith? It's agreeing with God. It's accepting the gift. So now we come back to what James said at the very beginning of our passage. What use is it, my brother and sisters, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? So we saw that we are saved by faith, by accepting the gift. There's nothing we can do to earn our way back to God. And so the question here is, can this faith save us? James would say, no, this faith cannot save us because it has no works. So James would agree that real faith saves, but how do we know if we actually have real faith? It is because real faith is going to show. Real faith is going to be visible in our lives. Use your imagination with me for a, mile, uh, for a while. Imagine somebody who was um, going to die is saved because of somebody else's sacrifice. And then they just turn around and walk away and say, thanks, and we're done. Does that, does that make sense? There would be thankfulness there. There would be like, thank you so much. What can I do? How can I pay you? And they say, oh, you can't pay me. But at least can I... You would want to respond in some way. And so James is saying, real faith, real faith that actually understood what we have been saved from, understood the problem, understood the solution. Real faith is going to show in how we live. Jesus said, believe in me. But he also said, follow me. He said, come to me. He said, Follow the example that I have given you. And so if we have understood what Jesus did for us and we just live on our lives as if nothing happened, then James is saying, have we actually really understood it? Do we have real faith faith that is going to save us? James says that real faith is going to show by works. He said, you say you have faith, I have works. You show me your faith without works. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. Remember the maple leaf uh, analogy? Somebody says they're a maple leaf fan, but they never actually do anything. It's difficult to believe them. But somebody who says they're a maple leaf fan and they are actually going to watch the games, they're cheering for their team, they're wearing the shirt, they're talking about it, it's like, okay, that makes sense. You say something and it's actually showing in your life. So, Works are going to show that we have faith. I put here works of faith because this is not works to produce faith. These are works that come out of faith. And it's really important that we keep that order right. Okay, it's not works trying to make the faith. It is works that come out of the faith. Works are things that you do that show that your faith is real. The Bible uses some other words to describe similar things. It uses the, the word good deeds, and it also uses the word fruit. And maybe that picture can help us a little bit better. Jesus said at one point, um, by your fruits, by their fruits, you will recognize people. Now, fruit is something that doesn't give a plant life. Fruit is something that comes out of 
a healthy plant. And the idea here is that works are not going to make your faith, but that faith is going to produce work. So it's important to keep the right order here. Second Corinthians 5.15 says, right after one died for all, so all have died, he says, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him, for him who died for them and was raised again. Somebody put it this way, in Christ we have a brand new identity which leads to a brand new activity. So let me use one more hockey example. I'm not really a hockey fan. I watch occasionally, so I don't know what trade rumors and so on have happened, but I know the Maple Leafs, and I know um, Sidney Crosby. So imagine Sidney Crosby went to the Maple Leafs, and this might, I might, this might be a completely wrong example because nobody wants Sidney Crosby at the Maple Leafs, or maybe you're saying, dream on, crazy uh, diamond. It's, uh, that's never going to happen. But imagine for a moment, Sidney Crosby was traded to the Maple Leafs. He then becomes a player of the Maple Leafs and he gets a brand new identity. He is now no longer a penguin, he is a Maple Leaf. And then when he starts the next game against the Penguins, who's he gonna play for? He's gonna play for the Maple Leafs. But just because he scores a goal for the Maple Leafs, is that what makes him a Maple Leaf? No, what made him a Maple Leaf was his contract, was his signing. He got a brand new identity before he even plays a game. He is a Maple Leaf, done. He doesn't have to do anything, he is a maple leaf. But then once he's a maple leaf, the most natural thing for him to do would be to go out on the ice and give his best for his team and to actually live as a maple leaf and do what he was hired to do. Does that make sense? So he's got a brand new identity and that is going to lead to brand new activity. No longer playing for the penguins, no longer doing something else, he is now going to do what his identity um, has already predefined. So I mentioned before, by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That was Paul saying that is faith alone, not works. But the very next sentence that Paul uses in that passage is, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So Paul, who said, by faith alone and not by works, in the very next sentence says, but when we are saved by faith, we are supposed to be living out those good works that God has created beforehand for us to live in. Jesus actually says something very similar in John 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and that is right because that's who I am, if I then, your teacher and Lord, have given you example, he's talking about washing his feet, then you should do just as I have done as well. And so what we see here is that we have been saved by grace through faith. We haven't just been saved from something, but we've also been saved to something. And so we have a brand new identity in Christ, and we don't just rest and keep living for ourselves, we live for him who died for us. So James, he's not saying here that real faith saves. That's not his main point. His real, main point is real faith shows, but he would agree that real faith saves. 
Faith without works, he says it's dead. That can't save. But he's implying that real faith saves. And how do we know if we have real faith? Real faith is going to show. It's going to show in our works. What are those works? It's not just, do we give to the food bank? Do we go to church? It's going to show in how we live overall. And I would say it's the works of Jesus. It's becoming more like Jesus, and it's doing more of what Jesus did. That might be that our character starts becoming more and more like Jesus because we want to honor him in the way we live. It might be that we start doing things that Jesus has asked us to do. But if in some way, if our faith is real, it is going to start showing. All right, kids, listen up. This is really important. The order of these two sentences is really important for the rest of your life. We need to remember that real faith saves, period, or exclamation point. Okay, real faith saves, we are saved by faith alone. If somebody asks you, so how do you know that you're saved? You can say, I'm saved because I have faith in Jesus. I agree with God that there's a problem, sin, and I accept the only way back to God, and that is Jesus' sacrifice for me. We are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone, and so if year after year after year, I'm just living the way I did before, maybe I have to ask my question, is my, is my faith real? And so that's what James is getting us to do here. He says examine, he doesn't say examine yourself, but he's asking us to examine ourselves. If you say you have faith, but you don't actually have works, could it be that your faith is not real? And so what does that mean for us this morning? Maybe we've never actually really understood the gospel message, or we've never really understood that the gospel message is true for us. And so we've believed it in our head, okay, yep, I believe that it's God and Jesus, but I don't actually think that that counts for me, or I've never really understood what that means for me and the significance that has in my life and that it sets me free and it gives me new life and there's nothing I need to do to earn that. There's nothing I need to do to please God or to make him, um, make him save me. It is a free gift that I need to accept. And if I have understood that, then I'm going to be filled with the Spirit and I'm going to be living out a life that is marked by good deeds and by f the fruit of the Spirit. I'd like to finish with a story and with a picture. And the story is actually straight from the Bible in Luke 7. And it's a story that is told to us about Jesus. And then Jesus gives us a little story. So it's Luke 7, and it's talking about a sinful woman who is, for, who is forgiven. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down at the table. And a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. So Jesus said, a certain money lender had two debtors, two people who owed him money. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 
So the one $500 or $500,000, the other one $50,000 $50 or $50,000, a big difference in amounts. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt for both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? Jesus asks. And then Simon says, mm, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt? And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Yes, the one who was forgiven more is going to love more. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, to the woman, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Jesus doesn't mention her works, he doesn't say your works have forgiven you, your works have saved you, he says your faith has saved you. But Jesus was in no doubt about her faith because he could see how she was responding. She had obviously understood who Jesus was, what he had done in her life, and she had responded out of the overflow of her faith. And Jesus doesn't say, your works, okay, that was three things, kissing and uh, anointing with oil, okay, you've, you've done it. Your faith has saved you. It is the faith that saves us. But Jesus could see that her faith had overflowed into her actions. Who can tell me what is on this picture? Anybody? Grapes? Yep, it's a grapevine. So I don't see any grapes right there, but it is a grapevine. And so in the spring, we would assume there'd be some buds and some leaves, and in the summer or in the fall, there'd be some fruit on there. And then it might look a little bit like this. It's a grapevine. And the Bible uses the picture of a tree and of a vine to explain this idea what if in the spring no leaves no buds in the summer no fruit year after year it looks like this season in season out would it still be a grapevine probably but what would you conclude if year after year there's no leaves and no fruit anybody what it's dead exactly if you don't see leaves and fruit year after year you would assume it's dead and you would be right it would be dead so does that mean the leaves and the fruit make this thing alive? No. Where does a grapevine or where does a tree get its life from? Anybody? Any farmers here? Why do we need rain into the soil? So that it can go in through the roots. The roots, the trunk, is what gives life to the branches. The leaves and the fruit are a sign that it is alive. The leaves and the fruit do not make it alive, but they show that there is life there. And so a faith that is not producing any works, there's no change, there's no change in character, there's no change in action, there's no change in um, a heartfelt um, desire to see a change and then to do it, that faith, James says, is dead. It's not that the works and the actions make the faith alive, but if the faith is alive, it will show in the fruit and it will show in the leaves. 
Jesus said in John 15, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain, remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the practical application, what do we need to do with this message today? What do we need to go away and do? Well, we don't need to do anything, but we need to remember where our life comes from. And that's why we have a banner here that says, we want to be a Christ-rooted church. That is exactly what the banner means, is that we want to be rooted in Christ and get our life from him. And that is going to give us an alive, active faith that then can live out in obedience to him. And so what do we need to do if we maybe feel like the fruit and the leaves have not been there in our life? Maybe we feel a little bit like that dead tree or the dead vine, and we're wondering, is our faith really alive? Doing more works is not going to make that alive. Doing more works and trying to, trying to bring the life is not going to do it. What we need to do is we need to get connected, reconnected, stay connected with the, with the vine. We need to get connected with Jesus. Jesus said, if you abide in me, if you stay in me, if you rest in me, then you will bear fruit. And a little further down, he says, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We remain in Jesus, he gives us a life, and then the natural overflow out of that is going to be seen in works. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder from James to examine ourselves and to see if our faith is alive. Father, this is a difficult for one, one for us to understand. We so quickly fall off on either side. Either we just rest in faith that Jesus died for us and we don't care about what we do, or we feel like we need to earn it. We need to show that our faith is real. We've, we need to earn our way back to you, and we forget that you have paid it all, and there's nothing that we can do without you. Father, would you help us to remember the right order here, that you have saved us by faith. It is your gift. It is grace, and we can rest in that. But would you help us to see how amazing that is and how undeserving we are of that and would you help us to appreciate the gift that you have given us and that that would then move us to want to live for you to want to honor you to want to obey you to want to know you more and to want to make you known more father would you help everyone in this room to understand this if we have questions if we're struggling if we don't see the outcome. We think we have faith, but we're not seeing us. Father, would you help us in our unbelief? Just as the uh, man prayed to Jesus, I believe, would you help me with my unbelief? Father, we realize that we're weak, and so we thank you that you have done everything that needs to be done, and we ask that you would fill us anew with your spirit, that we would see you for who you truly, truly are. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me.
you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As we go, let's not go doing and try and, and fix it, but let's take some time to think about it. Am I seeing the fruit of faith in my life? And if not, could it be that I'm a little disconnected from the vine? I'd like to invite you to fellowship time in the gym. If you'd like to come, if you're new, like we said, we'd like to meet you. There's a table there where there's an elder going to be there. Uh, let's uh, spend time together and then have a great Sunday. Let me just take one more time to pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that we are who you say we are. Father, would you help us to see you as the source of life, to come back to you again and again. Father, we want to trust on no one and nothing else but you. Amen. Have a great week.